Welcome to Deal Breakers, a secret handshake podcast that explores the movie opinions your friends have that make you want to delete their numbers from your phone. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and up on the chopping block this week is our very own Simon Abrams. Now, Simon's a great guy, and as readers and listeners of the site will find, is immensely talented. But also, fuck Simon Abrams. Because we recently learned that he doesn't like the John Wick movies, most notably the sequels. But before I throw the microphone out while recording this intro, here's us breaking it all down with the New York bad boy about why John Wick actually rules. Simon, thank you for joining us. Hello. Yes, thank you for having me, guys. This is uh, uh, something to look forward to, as always. And, you know, as people who have listened to the podcast know, Simon's been on our Zoom Films uh, episode and has contributed to some articles to the website, one notably uh, about Hard Target, which is quite amazing and you should check out, and writes uh, for numerous outlets, including Roger Ebert and the New York Times, um, but today we're not here to celebrate Simon. We're here to fight him in an episode of Deal Breakers because we learned something uh, about you when we all hung out for the first time at the Exude Festival is that you are, uh, let's say, not as big of a John Wick fan, specifically the sequels, as me and Martin yeah. are. And honestly, I would probably venture to say the majority of people who watch movies like that, that franchise is pretty universally lauded. Could we go out on the limb and say that? I'd say that I, I, I have difficulty arguing with you, but it's, it's genuinely hard to tell. Like I've noticed that there are uh, more and more, especially as you get to John Wick chapter three, Parabellum, you get to more people who are like, Kind of like realizing what I realized about halfway through John Wick 2, which is that like I didn't need any of this shit. Like I just didn't like they 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 didn't the 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 good vibes they got from that first one, which was a genuine word of mouth hit and with good reason. Um, I feel like as you go uh, and as time passes, um, the excitement that people have, which is you know a totally palpable and observable phenomenon, like it's it's a it's a genuine uh well-loved franchise um but you do notice lately i feel like more and more especially as we're waiting for john wick 4 that like people are especially now that they have like the the rip-offs and stuff like people are not as um i feel like we're not rooting for the home team anymore like there's there's more and more people who like have this sense that like they don't feel have to feel obliged to like be really like to be rooting for this this franchise to to work and uh i find that interesting because uh i like the first one i genuinely think the first one is is rather good it's just that um it's not just the concept of john wick sequels that i object to it's like some of the filmmaking like i had a hard time articulating it when i wrote about the sequels but like when i rewatched it i started to get a better sense of like what's not working here and i think that uh it's certainly not the for want of uh, certain ideas that uh, I, I dislike it. I think it's partly execution, and I think, yeah, it is ultimately, like, it's a bit 50-50 for me. So it's like, I feel like a lot of people now are um, are responding to it in terms of, like, well, what, what, are you, what are you getting from these sequels that are so different than a Marvel movie, say, or another franchise? And wow. I think... Fatigue is sort of setting in, hopefully, because uh, I much prefer 
for example, like the the John Wick, uh, um, what would you call it? Like John Wick exploitation, basically of of nobody or. Uh, I, I think it's adjacent. It almost feels like it's ha- happening in the same universe, but like down the block. It's like suburban John Wick. You know, John Wick's all taking place in this urban uh, kind of neon weird i don't even want to call it a hellscape but it's like this neon like comic book version of like modern new york kind of almost like how the warriors was like the late 70s comic-y version of of, uh new york city this feels like the glossy neon uh comic book version of it where nobody is happening in like the suburbs outside you know but like i to bounce off of your point about like people losing enthusiasm for it, I would agree with that uh, because I was expecting there to be far more buzz about Odin, you know, Odin Kirk and nobody because I quite like it. Um, yeah. And that movie just kind of came and went, and like it had a couple vocal supporters, but like, and to be fair, the pandemic might have hamstrung it like a touch in terms of buzz, but like. I still expected it to be one of those things that, like, even film Twitter rallied around, uh, and it really didn't. It just kind of came and went. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going, go Martin, I interrupted. No, I was going to say that, um, Simon, I've been thinking about this just rewatching these, and um, I thought of my brother, and when, when Chute came out, I, I saw Chute right when it came out, actually at a, an early screening, and I was like, yes. Like, I was totally caught up in the, because the first one was also word of mouth from my roommate at the time, like, because I, I thought the trailer looked kind of stupid, you know, and I, I slept on it for like a week, and then I saw it, I'm like, wow, that was really great, and I really liked two, and I still do, but my brother was like, he was already feeling the fatigue with two, he's kind of said, they're kind of a one-trick pony, was what he, was his his words. Um, Fuck your brother. <laughs> but um, I, I do... I hope he hears this, too. Well, he'll listen. Uh, <laughs> but re- rewatching two and three, I watched them yesterday and today. Um, I'm not like crossing sides here, but I definitely like I understand that, you know, because there were times where, especially having seen them numerous times now, um, where I can kind of zone out. Like I'm not engaged in the action. I, I zone out while it's going on. I sometimes wait for like a plot scene because, like, especially like. Three, like the first 30 minutes is like what five set pieces or something like that. I mean, it just like, which is super cool, but it's also kind of exhausting um, well, to watch. Um, no, and impressive stuff like the knife scene out of context. One of my favorite scenes out of the whole series is him in, in the knife store or like the antique store, and he's just like knife throwing that. And I love the speed and the and the the rhythm. Um, but I, I, I'm going to say comes, I get I get you're coming from Simon and my brother as well. So the the knife thing comes too early. I think that actually is a recurring problem that that happens with actually all three of these films is that the best set piece comes too early. Like the best set piece in John Wick One, the club shootout, it's great. That's like the peak of the movie. Yeah. But then nothing really matches it after that. Same with John Wick Two. I really believe the um, the coronation assassination uh, set piece that takes place in like the catacombs yes. and then that huge Gothic castle and everything. That's the peak of John Wick two. And like you get, I think it's a little better than John Wick one, because I, I feel like once the contracts put out on him and there's that crazy montage of him fighting all of the different assassins who come out, I think that comes close, 
but like nothing again comes quite matches that that midpoint where like the knife fight that's in like the first third of the movie and i don't think anything quite like reaches the heights of that because that knife fight is so fucking cool it's just such a great idea they're like what if we let some of the best martial artists working out there just have at it in a glass encased armory and start throwing ancient weapons at each other sure fuck it who cares like that's awesome my thing is the reason why I'm not as high on that particular set piece, which I, I obviously rewatched, uh, is I think that scene and a couple others in three really drove home a point for me, which was that while I appreciate that he he is thinking of these fights in terms of like how he wants to distinguish his scenes from other like more corporatized or bigger budget production action films, I feel like he's actually a little scared to to edit a little more aggressively these scenes. I feel like these these fight scenes don't have a sense of rhythm to them or a sense of camera placement or movement that suggests more than just, I want a shot that's going to show you as much in one take as possible and as much of the actors and their their choreography as possible. You know, on and the, the one athleticism hand, is the other thing. They're yeah, real and, big into the athleticism of the performers. Exactly, because he's a he's a stunt he's a he was Keanu's yeah. original uh was it stunt double or stunt I mean It was stunt a stunt double on the Matrix. Yeah. They met on the yeah. Matrix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So because he he's, he doubled even Brandon Lee on the crow too. We're talking crow. about Chad Stalski. Who yeah. would go? Who would go on to direct these movies? Most but, of the yeah. reshoots were him. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was he was the body double. So yeah. yeah. I just I feel like in that sense it's the same feeling I had when I watched District B13, and I remember the hype that was surrounding it was that the sheer novelty of having uh, stunt guys and actual action guys as your stars. That uh, was the parkour one, right? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I feel like it's a similar shortcoming here where I feel like as a filmmaker, as a director, really, these movies always have great ideas in terms of gag storytelling, which is why I, I, I sort of now I'm a little more forgiving of the pretentious Buster Keaton uh, comparisons. It's like, ooh, because he doesn't emote. He's the great stone face. Get fucked. You know. <laughs> it's just give me a fucking break. Keanu is his own thing. Let him be Keanu. And I just... I find that that constant insistence was like, do you see that? I've now, read books. I know what that's like. It's now, hold cool. on, hold on. Dante, I, I, I will push back on that one like a little bit because I think one of the great appeals of the John Wick series, take all the busting, the Buster Keaton stuff out of it, is I think they actually do let Keanu be Keanu. Like, I think these are some of the ultimate Keanu performances because they recognize exactly what he's really strong at and don't let him go uh, in any direction. He's very weak at like the dialogue is very sparse and terse. It's almost Walter Hill. Like I think you even point Ooh. out the, you make a, a Walter Hill comparison in your Hollywood reporter article about uh, Parabellum. Uh, sure. That's quite good. And I'm going to throw on our Twitter feed because it's a, uh, you, you you do I, I read up on that before we had this conversation because I do agree obviously to a lesser extent with a, a bunch of your criticisms because even I by the time we get to Parabellum was a little fatigued by it because to me this might sound redundant but 
just allow me to kind of elaborate is that each movie two and three are extensions of the last and not necessarily in a good way where like one is all this setup and it gives you the most plot and then just kind of unloads in the back half, like that club sequence on, it just becomes set piece, set piece, set piece, set piece, set piece. Two is that mode only it injects all of the run all night uh, kind of mentality to it. Only I think two as the strongest script because I like all of uh, Derek Kolstad's kind of great, like reworking of like Greek mythology and the underworld stuff, because you could almost read it as like this weird retelling of like the, the uh, myth of uh, Orpheus. Orpheus. Yeah. Yeah. And his descent into like hell and everything. But then, but it is just, set piece, set piece, set piece with very few breaks. And then three is just an extension of that to where it's just running. The entire movie is running the entire time. And if you've spent now, if you add up the run times of John Wick two and Parabellum, that's a four hour sprint. That's a long time to be sprinting. So you're going to be tired. Four and a half, almost five. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really long. So like I get the fatigue argument of it. I just, I don't know. I, I think my appeal to it is like it was both the Keanu uh, element because I do love his performance in, in these. Like he's just so stone faced. He's so terse with the dialogue and he just like it's his weird like super like superhero and like bond hybrid that he finally gets to do. And then I just love the athleticism of it. Like I just love that it's these guys who have a real uh, appreciation for the artistry of stunt work and they're like we're gonna make an entire movie out of that it's the same reason why I love all the Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham films to to a, a lesser degree is that uh, they're movies made by guys who, who did this and, and we're kind of the unlauded heroes of, of that work and they once you get them behind the camera they get to actually highlight the things that they think they should be highlighted. And that's kind of fucking cool. I think something, I, yeah, I think something's really cool um, that it's, you can't repeat in two and three. I remember, I mean, is, is seeing the first one for the first time. And I think my expectations again, were very low. I said, this it's a lion's gate. Like, I think it was like, like November or something like that. I was, I had no, I had no expectations. You know? I skipped and, it at fantastic fest that year. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wasn't after, I, that was the year before I started going there. I was like, I'm not going to watch this. And then again, a friend told me, and what they told me they liked especially was the world building of it. Of like, it's this comic book world of like this underground ass- assassins, the idea of this continental, like the kind of Highlander-esque rules of we don't fight on hollow ground, all this kind of cool, like, uh, again, world building stuff. And when I first saw John Wick, I was like, oh my God, they actually put some real thought into this, like. The actions will be great. Like you said, it's like they gave the keys to the stuntmen, kind of like the raid, which I also love. Just like oh, seeing these people so all who are are good in in the frame and like you said, showing that off. And by the time I got the end of one, I'm like, oh my god, that was just so cool to see the world. There's nothing in terms of depth, in terms of the story and world, that equals that in two or three. Where it's like, oh cool, Angelica Houston was the woman who raised them, I guess. You know, or here's this other, here's Lawrence Fishburne. I like the the homeless underground, which is cool, but it's also like, all right, 
You know, it, none of that equals none of that equals for me number one. Ah, I mean, Jacob's gonna beat me up tonight, Simon. I'm, he's I'm, he's downstairs. He's gonna beat me up. I'm I feel like you can hold your own, Martin. I feel like you've got this. I'm rooting for you, as always. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, this. I think the the novelty of seeing Keanu and Lawrence Fishburne reunited on screen has never really been lost. I mean, even like revisiting them this time, like, and also like Fishburne is fucking just eating the New York skyline, like oh, he's he just totally pulling is. trunks out of it, and he, he I mean. Get this man a gun. Yeah, like, somebody get yeah. <laughs> he's loving. He's almost going like full like black exploitation to a certain degree. Like I love it, but where he's in it? a totally different movie is my argument. My thing is the That's best. Fine. It's just I feel like all the best side character performers in this have either had to choke down a level of they've been here before and they've done it better like Leguizamo. Leguizamo I was just thinking about how like how many times I've heard him complain about doing the exact fucking role that he has at John Wick and to a lesser extent John Wick too uh, but like the other characters Angelica Houston Fishburne a couple others it's like their interpretation especially Fishburne of the character adds a level of weight that that lines and those dialogue just can't handle like Mark Dacascus I was just thinking I love that man. I love that they cast him. Yes. I even reviewed last year uh, this shitty movie he was in called One Night in uh, Bangkok. Yeah. And I just I was like like the like the song like are you serious like that's what you're going with for your fucking time anyway. But I I think he's bringing a performance to that character that like it just doesn't it can't it can't support as written like. It, it, even on a gag storytelling level, I just feel like you have a filmmaker who is a little scared to dice things up that, for example, Gareth Evans is not. Like, Gareth Evans, he pre-visualizes and he works with um, his choreographers in such a way that I think he's thinking first as a filmmaker – and then he's thinking of the choreography. These guys do the exact opposite. And while I respect in some ways that, I just feel like you've got, like, what would happen if Donnie Yen was a little more into uh, filmmaking? He's a solid guy. He's a, he's a, he's a rock-solid choreographer. He's not a great film mind, though, because he doesn't have the sensibility of, say, a Lau Kar Long or somebody who's going to bring a level of um, consideration, I guess, for how your camera is going to complement and uh, move and, and basically segment the action in a way that makes the drama of the scene and of the movements uh, more than just a series of, and he shot that guy. No, there's a guy over here. Oh, that's cool. You're using a location. It's like, I don't, I don't get a sense of, of variety or of snap from the Stahelski uh, solo helmed John Wick films. The first one, which he did with David Leach, has an interesting, um, I think, I guess, sense of humor and sensibility that like makes even the moments where I was rooting for uh, in the sequels, like uh, the Grand Central uh, scene with the kids, like I think that's a great fucking idea for a scene. The idea of the two characters. But like you just literally, they're just they're just stopped. 
They're like two care. They're just stopped. The kids are total like. There's no, he does nothing with the kids. The barrier between these two actors. There's not much like give and take in the dialogue. There's not a lot of chemistry between the two guys. The it's just like it feels like he has a great kernel of an idea, and he just doesn't know how to do it. And I I think of that or like with the Angelica Houston stuff. It's like all this stuff could work. And and what I felt I was especially more upset about last time I saw these movies was that like. I was rooting for them. I was really into the idea of like it's like okay, I want you to work despite I want you to 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 charm me enough that I could feel comfortable rooting for you because the first one is really good. Um it's just that what pissed me off is that like I just I don't know if if Stahelski is is um the big brain that he basically uh, promised in, uh, or he, he made us hope he was in the first one, because, like, he certainly got the swagger and stuff. It's just that, like, eventually, if characters go on and have more than, like, a couple pages of dialogue, you realize, like, oh, God, this is, this is like a deodorant commercial. This is, this is, this is just dumb. Like, the Continental stuff, especially the drama with that, really rung false with me this time. Um, the, the Casablanca stuff bothered me in three a lot more. Uh, a lot of the back half of the two, of the second one as well, the Bowery, the Bowery Boys, or you know whatever the fuck they're called. I just I find a lot of that stuff. It's like it could have worked. It could have, and I could have seen like how the tongue-in-cheek style that he's really trying to do, and that that sort of deadpan, stone-faced kind of humor could have landed. I just don't think he he's good for humor. And and that's what really made me start to think. It's like, well, why? It's like, because there's no, there's no rhythm to the scenes. There's no rhythm or sense of um, uh, of I. And I keep overstressing this term, but there's no snap because there's like there's no sense of like, um, a sense of playfulness that like a lot of the dialogue hints at. And even if it's like it's not very smart, like with the Darkaskis character, where it's like we've seen he's a total professional. We've seen he's a threat to John Wick. But he's also like a Batmite type fanboy. Like, what the fuck is this? But like, it could have worked because Dacascus is a fucking champ. Um, you've got a great uh, foil in in Keanu, and um, the choreography's not bad. It's just that I kept watching it, and like, it was essentially in the assess- insistent kind of thematizing of like the choreography where it's like welcome to the hall of souls or whatever in the second one and then in the third one with like the the stuff how like it's like oh we only go into this room and we want to see what's under the high table uh, and or just like just shit like where they they kept stressing to you like what the movie's about and what it's thinking about i just i was like i could be fine with it i could be willing to overlook that kind of like um over eagerness to show you that they're thinking in capital T thinking, but like I I can't with the sequels because unlike the first one, I genuinely don't see anything in individual set pieces um, beyond great ideas. I see some really good ideas in those sequels because like they're interesting and like they have they, like the 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 the, the front loading of the the Keaton image in both films uh in times square in, in three and then in the second one it's in shit what was it it was like on a, on a, a billboard or something yeah in the in early on 
But, like, by showing you up front, they really want you to notice that, like, they are thinking of the filmmaking in terms of, like, gag storytelling. And uh, I, I don't want to sound like Orson Welles yelling at Henry Jaglin about, like, oh, it's about gags. You can't overburden fucking gags. Like, you have to. But it's true to some extent. If you're going to be a great gag storyteller, focus on that and focus, make that like your your actual um, your 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 genuine strength. I feel like these guys want credit for stuff that they can't quite grab yet, and I think that that's unfortunate because like you're looking at how far, for example, Gareth Evans has come with the best scenes in Gangs of London. That dude has grown uh, even further. And is keeps trying new shit in uh, after the raid movies, but both of which I think are tremendous. Um, the I'm, cottage raid in Gangs of London is one of the greatest action set pieces I've ever seen. It's and so like, good. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't even wrap my head around it because Jacob, you're the one who called me, right? And you're like, and you're like, dude, watch Gangs of London. And and I didn't even know that Gareth Evans had done it. Like, I it had completely slipped. Because honestly. No offense, but all offense meant to AMC Plus. Usually their stuff kind of fucking sucks, and I ignore it. And sure. and I, I even had I even have a subscription, but I don't watch it. And so it was like, but that scene, and then the first scene when he, like first second episode, where he goes into like the safe house, and yeah. is doing the knife like the cleaver fight with the big dude. Is well, that just, uh, that the the gypsy trailer park massacre is also pretty fucking incredible where they just go in and are machine gunning their yeah. trailers and like there's that incredible one take through it like i'm not gonna here's the thing is i'm not gonna argue that uh which one's better like chad or gareth because i i love them both like i don't want i don't want to sophie's choice these dudes but at the same time i do agree with you simon because i interviewed chad uh immediately after John Wick 2, like right before it came out. And we we sat down for about an hour or so. And like, he's a really cool guy, but he did describe the way that they do prep to shoot those scenes. And it sounds like the majority, based on just this one conversation, so I could be totally off base. But the notion that I got from him is that the majority of what they prep for is all choreography and capturing the, these fights in as little uh, takes as possible to where, like, they literally will have guys with cameras that aren't rolling so that they can be looking through the viewfinder the entire time while they're doing it on set, like their rehearsals and their dry runs. And they said they'll do that for weeks at a time before they even shoot it. So it's like, I get it. Because I do agree in terms of, like, I don't think that he's the best narrative filmmaker in the world. Because, yeah, by three, like, what is the story of John Wick 3? I don't think anybody could actually tell you. John Wick is still, again, it bounce off of my extension thing, is, like, John Wick is still running. That's, like, what three is. There's not a whole lot else. Like, he goes to a ballet. I do like the ballet sequence quite a bit. I think that's a weird fucking bit of underworld that he kind of goes into. And that's the thing is I like I like all the texture of these things. Like, I like him going into, like, a ballet and them – like, it's obvious, like, almost like jock-level symbolism there and them being, like, 
ballet is the same as what we're doing. We're choreographing here. We're putting our bodies to the test. And like, I, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, I, I get it, bro. Like, <laughs> like that's cool. But uh, I, I still, I like that. Like that, that rings true for me. Now the one, the one point that I'll push back on in the narrative uh, part is I get really wrapped up, particularly in two. Two is my favorite of the three films. Like I, I love it. I think it's a stone masterpiece. Like I, I'll defend it until my death. Um, and I think part of it is because I, the story and the emotional beats of two hit really hard for me because they kind of do play into some of my greatest fears. And I love the idea of this guy trying to hold on to any little bit of this like woman that he loved and how, her absence kind of drives him deeper and deeper into almost like this insane addiction, you know, to, to killing. And for me, like, I think about what would happen if like my girlfriend, something ever happened to her and was gone and like, how, like, we're not picture people, you know? So I don't know what pictures I would hold on to. Like, would I listen to something like a, a voice message on my cell phone over and over again until like it breaks would I slip into whatever addictions that I have harder and harder until I can't control them? So like I watched John Wick too, and that's all the stuff that I really connect with because like that moment when he sits at, after the fight with the first fight with Common and he's sitting in the, the bar of the, the Continental and he looks at his phone and it's crushed. Like the, you can't watch that video of his wife anymore. That shit actually kills me because I think about what I would feel in that moment, and I, I, I wouldn't be able to reconcile with that. I think that's why I was – when I watched this, I was much more taken up with questions of what isn't working on – like why, why am I not buying this basically because in theory – there were a lot like the common, the whole antagonism with the common guy, uh, common character. What, what was his name? It was something silly. Uh, uh, Cassian. Cassian. God. Yes. Thank you. And he is, <laughs> I mean, they, they all goof ass names. Cass- like I'm the adjudicator. It's like, are you kidding me? Oh, she uh, annoys the fuck out of me in part three, but let's, that's another point. Yeah. But, but my thing is the stuff with common in that second one, if it were anybody else, I'm convinced I would have been way more into like the staircase scene, uh, fight scene in that, or just like the scene in the fucking Oculus. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a native New Yorker, so like I I root for the home team constantly. So I'm just like, oh, that's the subway. You know, like I I love, I love dark ass shit like that, and that's why I was automatically like, you know, in some ways on edge where they where they he, he pulls up to Grand Central and he's like, it's like the gay the JFK Express is just showing. Up, it's like the fucking JFK. Who the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, but I, I wanted to like that stuff. I think the fact was I just found it very hard to get into because Common just strikes me as somebody who puts in the effort, he puts in the work, and most of the time it just doesn't matter. Like I, I thought his album from last year was good, but on screen as like that guy, it's like all I kept seeing is like you as that guy. I don't buy well, it. I, I don't buy it. I do think that like the you you mentioned something earlier about how they're they're filmmakers who play to the gag, play to the gag, play to the gag. I do think 
they want they do kind of want to have it both ways and if it doesn't work for you it will come up as a, in, incredibly silly in that like they cast the dudes the common who are so incredibly po-faced the entire time and they're playing everything so incredibly straight and stoic and like we're supposed to buy into this whole like code of honor stuff and like some of it's funny but like sometimes they forget that the gag should be funny yes. and it's it just all becomes about the physicality of it and not the actual uh comedic payoff let's say because and Common is a good example of that. But at the same time, like, that fucking fight on the subway is so goddamn awesome that I don't care. I And I think that the, the stare, like, I laughed out loud while I was watching it today at that stairway gag because I just think it's funny once they finally get to the third fucking set of stairs and they're still rolling. Like, it's almost like something out of a Chevy Chase movie. I'm like, what are we doing here? I, I I like the energy. I I like see that's the thing. I I want to like the energy of that because it is it, it does have that sly thing. But you 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 hit the nail on the head. I think right now where you said that like they want to have it both ways. Where it's like if it doesn't work for you, they can kind of wink it off by telling you like we were always trying to 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 acknowledge on some level how ridiculous this is. And it in some ways I feels like I feel like that's the difference between Gareth and Chad. They conceive of these things in two separate ways. Gareth has this sense that, like, if I'm going to go all the way and if my goal is to basically to pummel you into submission, I'm going to fucking pummel you into submission and I'm not going to give you a moment to catch your breath, but I'm going to earn it. I'm going to earn basically the the idea that like all the wind is going to be knocked out of you whereas opposed to here there's always just a little left where it's like but i'm just kidding it's like i i got i'm just fucking around with you and it's like it's this sense that like they are on the one hand ciphers where all of their characters have names like bushido one and two or like it has like <laughs> you also have like characters where it's like you have to have a sense of emotional attachment because for example even the fucking uh pigeon rat king or whatever lord fishburne plays he has like he has an emotional arc from two to three and it's it's at that point where it's like well which is it am i supposed to be emotionally invested in john wick as more than a clothesline to hang cool shit on which i frankly would prefer or am i supposed to care about his emotions his 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 you know his development frankly and it's like the fact that they have a little bit of both but they can never quite commit that's what bothers me about this because it's like i i i like the idea of trying to do both i just don't think he's he's a strong enough um scene to scene filmmaker to pull that off yet i mean he might be uh you know who does get it who does get the gag and commits to both sides of it perfectly and i was thinking about this when i, I rewatched it last night is uh michael nyquist um, I think he's yeah. the best. He's probably the best villain in the entire series because he hits both the comedic beats and the dramatic beats near perfectly. Like that moment, one of the best scenes of his is the moment where he confronts his his shitty ass son Alfie Allen, and they're drinking, and like he he he's like, oh, you had a good day. That's that's great. And he just starts basically pummeling his son and his fucking assistant who's. The guy I can never remember the, the the actor's name, but he plays like chaos in the progressive commercials or whatever. He's Liz are. Lemon's boyfriend. And he, yeah, Liz this Lemon's guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boyfriend. 
the the what was it the beeper king of Long Island or whatever it was <laughs> in, in yeah. uh, 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 what was it, 30 Rock? I like the beats in that scene so much where he's just like, Figo, what the fuck, man? Do, do, you, do you want me to go? And he's like, no, you stay! Just like that, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, it, it, Michael Nyquist, it, it, rest his soul now, is hitting so many beats, but he's hitting them right in a row, and he gets what perhaps someone like Common doesn't get or doesn't deliver is probably the better way to put that, is that he's he's alternating in tone is that he's like, this can be funny and it can be dire at the same time. I mean, Nyquist is the first one to deliver the, the trademark John Wick. Oh, when he gets the news and he finds out that his kid uh, killed John Wick's dog and killed and stole his car is like, when he delivers that, Oh, you're like, I remember seeing it in the theater at that second fantastic fest screening and being like, Oh, this is what we're doing here. Okay. Cause I basically went, Oh, in my seat too. It was. In, I kept thinking watching John Wick of like the other two franchises, which in my mind, a lot of people's mind is, I think of Mission Impossible, I think of Fast and the Furious, of the two, of the three American franchises that a lot of them are based on real stunts, right? It is like, back to your point earlier, Simon, of we're going to show off, if not our performers and our leads, like stuntmen and, and stuntwomen doing real things on, on camera. Well, taking and, it back to Keanu, even stuff like Point Break. Yeah, yeah. But, but what I what I think about with like these other modern franchises, like Mission Impossible and Fast and the Furious, is that you have filmmakers like Christopher McQuarrie and Justin Lin, and for all their faults, Justin Lin, he actually has a very good tonal understanding of that series because he knows it's wrestling. It is it is the plotting of wrestling where people turn <laughs> heel and all of a sudden they're the face. It's all the but he knows how to do that broadness well and also like. When people talk about, about um, like Fast and the Furious and get excited for new ones, like, oh man, Dom's going bad. Even though you're making fun of it, you are knowing what the story's about. With the new John Wick, I'm never like, oh, he's on the run now. I don't give a fuck. Like you were saying, it's very much more of the clothesline, and it's kind of people are playing dress up. That works somewhat for me, um, but not in the way that like I'm totally bought in for like five of the Fast and the Furious movies, like 100%. Like I'm like, what's happening? Oh my God, Letty's back, and I am full on into that comic book world with those reversals. And none of that hits for me. Like the end of Parabellum where um, Ian McShane turns on Winston and shoots him and say, like, all right, you know, like that's all I thought during that moment. But yeah, that scene actually got better for me in there. There are certain scenes that improved for me in the sequels. Like, for example, Peter Stormare in those first opening scenes in two. I Not love him more. Please be respectful and refer to him as God among men, Peter. God among Peter. I was so upset. (laughs) There was one time where, like, the publicist was all pawns to get me to to interview him, and I just couldn't make it work because the project, like, it wasn't it wasn't a big enough hook to use the the journalism bullshit term. It's like it's like it was just so annoying. I was like, but he's fucking great. I could make a meal out of this. This would be awesome come on they're just like yeah but no one cares about this movie i'm like but yeah he he turns out great because i interviewed him once and i'm pretty sure he was hammered the entire time like it was just one of the most amazing weirdo conversations where i just asked him at one point i was like you've done all this stuff what do you want to do he's like i don't know make beer and i went sure that sounds great (laughs) yeah and he, he he seems like 
he's got the the genuine like Udo Kier energy that we all wish we had. But uh, but yeah, the 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 thing that appreciated in three though that I that are building off of what you guys were saying is at the uh, the very end where John Wick falls down onto the dumpsters and stuff off the after uh, Ian McShane shoots him. I could at least appreciate that I understood even better what the filmmakers were thinking with that. Because before, it just seemed like a comically inept attempt at, like, reminding us, remember, just like Buster Keaton. And it was just, it was also because, like, they really wanted to emphasize the story beat of, you know, the basically the through line to the next one, which is inevitably Winston was doing it because, of course, he knew that he that John Wick would survive and he wants not only the adjudicator but like us to get the sense of impact and and how basically like the uh the the I think he hits like two or three things on his way down and like what what struck me is that like it's like I get it I appreciate the spirit of it but this is pure um I don't know it's like basically comparing um Mexican Coke to regular Coke. It's like uh, America Coke. It's like it's just I I it's like I prefer the Mexican Coke because it tastes better because it's got like more tasty sugar in it. Like it's I I just I feel like it's it's not pretentious to say it once you realize that why they taste different. It's just the same thing here. It's like I get what you're trying to do. I see sure. the way you're trying to do it. I just don't think that you have the toolkit or the skill set to make that work. It's like we were talking last time about Lark Carlong, and I think one of the most miraculous thing about that guy's Shaw Brothers martial arts classics is that he always approached it with a sense of seriousness uh, in terms of action filmmaking as well as choreography. As a choreographer, he was fucking he, – he knew it. But what was amazing always to me is that, like, he would always, even in the content of his movies, basically tell you, it's like, you can't take this film shit seriously. The real reason that you should care about these movies is because what they're about is basically, I think, is to serve the greater goal of convincing you that martial arts and uh, Shaolin uh, uh, teachings can make your life better. And he was always, in that sense, a philosopher first. And like, who also happened to be a, a great uh, choreographer and a somehow miraculous filmmaker. He, I mean, his his filmmaking is is so much more amazing when you realize that like, his movements of the camera complement and and bring out, um, in a lot of ways, the drama of the fights. And in the John Wick movies. I, I only bring it up because I think that that's like I'm not gonna say it's like and this one doesn't do that nearly as well. It's like I I don't mean to use Shaw Brothers as a cudgel to beat it with, but I just think that that level of understanding about like how is the filmmaking complementing the 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 work because I love any action film that basically their hook is the choreography is the thing the work is the thing you're watching actual guys with you know technical brained stuff do their thing needham is a great example maybe he wasn't the best human being in the world as a uh, you know if, as, and honestly i feel like if, if tarantino's into you a little too much that should be a warning <laughs> sign you know like jimmy wang Yu, for example the fact that he likes him more than bruce lee 
you know, strike yeah. strike two. But anyway, the point being is that I just I feel like some of these filmmakers who do have the craft of their specific thing in mind, that's great. But if you could take that and you make that into like the bigger picture of like direct action filmmaking as like directing, that's impressive because Lao, it wasn't guaranteed that he could do it as well as say Chang Che, who is I think a genuinely terrific action filmmaker. It's just that he doesn't understand the heart as well as say Lao. Here, I think that you 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 could have overcome what is essentially a soulless series of movies because that first movie it's not a very soulful film. It doesn't need to be. I just think it's a high toned, fun ass genre exercise. I think it's terrific. Is that? It's well, just that. I, I, have, I have a quick story about that. I just, to your point. Um, I have a couple people who saw these movies really early and. I find their reactions or, or these anecdotes that have been relayed to me funny because of the success of John Wick. So in hindsight, I look at them and I go, oh, yeah, like I remember talking to the guy at Fantastic Fest who was the lone programmer who saw uh, John Wick at when Lionsgate brought it to them with the, the potential of playing it at the fest. And he told me that he watched it. At like 10 in the morning at the Alamo Ritz downtown with the publicist there and basically walked out and shrugged like, yeah, that's fine. Like, we, we, we should play that. Like, people will probably be into it. But not thinking anything about it. He's like, Keanu's good. The action's pretty good. But basically what you're saying, like, this is a, a, an above average programmer that we can play on 8 at 8 p.m. on opening weekend. People will be cool. We'll bring a big star in. And, you know, it'll be an event. But, like... This movie's not going to go on to spawn two sequels or make millions and millions of dollars, you know? Yeah. But the other anecdote I've been told is from our – me and Martin's buddy, James Shapiro, who while he was working – I believe this is when he was at Draft House Films. It was when he was living out in L.A. um, that they actually had a buyer screening for John Wick. Because that's the one thing that people don't realize is that, like, they Lionsgate didn't just produce this movie. Like, it was more or less not produced independently, but it was produced with the idea of, like, it still needs to be picked up for distribution. And they did a buyer screening of John Wick, and he was like, if you've ever been to a buyer screening, Jacob, uh, you know, these are the, the worst things in the world. It's nothing but L.A. suits on their phones half the time. They leave after 20 minutes. They don't give a shit. They, they 20 make the minutes, decision. you're generous, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's like, whether or not, they, they basically make the decision uh, if they could sell it or not within like 15, 20 minutes. He was like, this place was packed, and by the end, these dudes were hooting and hollering and high-fiving each other, and he all of a sudden went, oh shit, I think this movie might actually be a hit. <laughs> and it's like, but I think that's the funny thing about John Wick is that it's become um, not quite a cultural phenomenon, but it is a big recognizable franchise now that's made millions of dollars that came from very humble beginnings of like it premiered at Austin, Tex- Texas at Fantastic Fest with the idea of like, oh, this will fill a good slot, you know, <laughs> like and yeah. now it's like we're on the fourth one this year. 
I, I I remember similarly how the rig became this thing that like you could see why it became like this 42nd Street success story. Literally, like I I, I watch movies all the time on 42nd and 8th uh, because fittingly it is one of the only places you could see new Asian films, and uh, I was just there to see this this terrific Lunar New Year comedy. And uh, it was a 1.45 p.m. screening, and I turned around. There was a fucking tour bus full of indigenous-speaking, Mandarin-speaking uh, people behind me, and they, they, they were laughing their asses off. But, like, it's 42nd Street is still the standard, so I loved seeing that, like, the raid. I, I, I basically was alerted that this was a thing I needed to pay attention to because it was doing hot-ticket business, word-of-mouth, legit word-of-mouth business. And uh, I love that for a number of reasons, chief among them that, like, I realize it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this guy's film, Marantau, at the New York Asian Film Festival. That was good. And it was unusual because there wasn't that many, you know, I think that was the first Indonesian film uh, to play at the New York Asian Film Festival. So it was it was cool to see, like, this sense of uh, hang on, like, you, you could watch a, a cult classic basically take its hooks into things. And... Uh, I think what's what's miraculous about that first John Wick movie is that, like, despite having the nascent tendencies of the sequels there, you also had a sense of control and a sense of, like, we're going to prove that we know what we're doing uh, urgency that I think made them really something special. And as soon as it became a formula... That's where it goes back to the argument that I already made in the Hollywood Reporter piece, which is basically that it's a mistake to try to franchise something whose novelty and interest was fundamentally that it was suggestive. It was elusive. It was like not based on anything more than the archetypal, you know, suggestiveness of of the character actors involved or the of the the lead like i think keanu reeves was even better in the one that he directed man of tai chi that's oh man fun. that movie rules that's another fantastic fest uh, premiere too because i remember yeah. that there i was so glad because that put it on my radar and i think that like on the one hand i was like if anything what warrants a sequel is that but then i was like yeah but they're not hard choice so they can't really you or or, or um, gosh, I always fuck up his name. The guy that did uh, Swordsman Two, Siu Tung Ching, who I fucking love. That guy is he is inventive as hell. He does he did all the Chinese ghost story movies, and uh, he oh, even yeah. made Stevens. I think arguably he made the last really good, or at least genuinely good or entertaining Steven Seagal movie, which was Belly of the Beast. Um, oh, that movie's good. That movie is good, right? And he, he, he has, like, you could slot him in wherever. He could do Swordsman 3. He could do Heroic Trio 2. He is, like, a genuine wonder of um, not just sensibility, but, like, he could he has a personality and a force of, of personality that makes, like, even when he isn't always at his technical, like, in, in, as in control as he should be because of the conditions of wherever, you just get the sense that, like, He's going to smuggle in as much of his personality as he can. And the force of this sheer force to that is overwhelming. I, I, I don't know. Like, I think it's a combination that so far the Wick films 
maybe after whatever he does next is going to be the thing that's going to remind me of what makes John Wick so good. One, the first one. But I just I feel like the sequels like they're they're basically trying to Chanel suit this thing you know the marge simpson chanel suit that is like (laughs) it's just it's like this sense that like you're trying to remake something that was already working it's just that you needed to move on and you realize that you couldn't and that's the theme unfortunately of the wick movies i mean all of them are on some level very blatantly about this idea and I, i i wanted this personality in this sense this thematic thread to pay off more when I rewatched, but I don't think it did. But basically, there is very clearly a film series here about how um, what is the measure of success in what you do? Is it your ability to basically succeed at something that destroys and totally erodes your soul, or is it to basically get out and stay out? That's ultimately like what the film is not so subtly pointing at as like it's like what what's the goal of 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 making it in in entertainment is to basically survive and get get out of it basically to prove to to do a show of strength as the adjudicator says when she's talking about um uh winston's uh thing at the continental in the third one but then to basically be like, and I'm out. I don't need to do it anymore. I, I've done it. I've established that I'm king shit. And the rest is basically, you know, not my problem. And I, I think that that's a potentially interesting idea, much in the same way that Ready Player One is a potentially interesting sort of apology on Spielberg's part for all the crap that he's sort of, you know, inspired especially you know but I, I think until he basically flat out says i'm sorry for executive producing the transformers films i don't give a shit because you know ready player one just isn't that soulful or thoughtful and neither are the john wick movies because like they just they all have this sense of it's like i have an idea and i'm going to tell you that idea without giving you an articulation of that idea that matches the um, potential for that idea that matches like I don't even need like a, a, a thoughtful consideration. Like I love Larry Cohen films. That guy's not a deep thinker. He's just really good at articulating and circling around certain points and then going off into different tangents. And like that's why he's always gonna be my model for um if I ever make movies, it's like I would want them to be Larry Cohen movies because like he's got so many great ideas. And sometimes they don't go together, but he's like, what if this and that, this other thing? And he just, he's, he's a fucking amazing filmmaker. I i think that like a lot of my problems with the, the Wick movies is that like, these are guys that sell themselves in their films themselves and in the way that these movies are sold externally as well as craft oriented guys, technical oriented guys. Their ideas though are just not only not doing it for me, but the craft just isn't as quite as good as I want it to be. It's 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 a weird feeling because it's like I I feel like I should always be rooting for these guys. I never am. Like I just I I don't know. Like I think David Leach is all right. Um that's that's partly because I know he follows me on Twitter, but uh no um, <laughs> I, I just I don't know. You like Atomic Blonde, right? Like we yeah. had this we had this conversation off mic and I think Atomic Blonde sucks, frankly. Like I I cannot get into that movie at all. I don't think the action's that great. 
Um, the one uh, like hotel fight is pretty cool, and when she like bungees off the the yeah the, uh, the balcony and stuff, yeah, and the staircase. But I mean, to me, that that movie, Martin, you know, earlier uh, commented on how he could throw on some of the fight scenes and like in John the John Wicks, and he would zone out a little bit. Like to me, uh, Atomic Blonde is almost like screensaver cinema. Because it's just like, this looks cool. Here's a Depeche Mode song. Here's a New Order song. It's the 80s, right? Berlin. Actually, I will say this. I do like James McAvoy in uh, Atomic Blonde because he's just – whenever James McAvoy goes full scumbag, like that's the only time that I really, really like him. He's because, good in that. He's yeah, good in that. That and Split are the two that actually sold me. I'm like, ah, there might be actually something going on with this guy. Oh, wait, sorry. I, I think that McAvoy is one of these guys that like – I, I think that's a tremendous performance in Split. I don't like the movie, but, like, I would say that Shyamalan has since been on fire and that he's been on, like... T- admittedly, his next one's probably going to suck because it's, like, I thought Glass was really good. I thought Old was decent and interesting and, and cool in terms of just, like, how he was really thinking as a filmmaker. I bet the next one's just going to be dog shit. It's probably going to be, like... But um, I, I genuinely think... The guys I like a lot of old, except for mid-sized sedan. Mid-sized <laughs> sedan, not the funniest. <laughs> I watched it on the plane. I literally audibly said, "Oh come on!" And like my neighbor <laughs> was just like, "What?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh, sorry." Like I had my headphones on. I think it would take too long to explain. Simon, I wanted to ask you a question real quick though, because um, we all, uh, I think Jacob, you brought up um, Hal Needham and, and Burt Reynolds, and so we, he and I, spent a long time watching all of their collaborations right and so i i wonder what how i mean you think about their like the the kind of hesitant the hesitance that um that hollywood had to say a stuntman can be a director right at that time that was like unheard of right and at least at least definitely in america and that they were going to trust this guy who was basically burt reynolds stunt double to direct a not a cheap movie um but I wonder what really makes their relationship special is just the star power of Burt. And like, as much as I love Keanu, he doesn't have that energy that lifts a movie up. That is, mm-hmm. if, I don't think so. No, I love Keanu, but like, yeah. when you compare- Go to energy, bed, Martin. No, when Go you compare bed. the energy of Burt, right? And uh. and what he does to a movie and like the, the comedy of Smoking the Bandit is Burt in my mind. Sure. Like, and out of his relationship with Hal as well. Keanu, especially toning down and like you said, Jacob, kind of hanging out in his comfortable zone of like being like very kind of morose and quiet. Uh, I love Keanu. Point breaks up my favorite movie of all time. So like, let's calm down. But I think that he doesn't. He's he's not adding energy. He's not adding his own kind of storytelling presence to the John Wick series. I would say. I'm gonna politely tell you to shut the fuck up. Like that. <laughs> That that's that like you know what we invited Simon on so I can yell at Simon. I'm gonna end up yelling at you more because that's ridiculous. These are their whole movie. He's John Wick. What do you mean he's not lifting the movie up? I would say I I get what Martin means though. The idea that like I think it's it's the nature of the difference of roles, which is basically right. when you try to to emphasize that what makes Keanu cool is that he has a stone face like. Uh, emotional reserve 
uh, I would respectfully say that's about a third right, because I think that Reynolds, for example, he is allowed to to be a little hammy and be a little like be a little at least it, it really acknowledge the fact that like he knows that he's a character or he's playing a part that people like because he is an oversized kind of messy goofball type character and that he's charming anyway and that you know that's that's why he's there to to basically charm you and keanu in the john wick movies as he goes on i just increasingly got this sense that like they were banking on the sense that like his performance was suggesting a lot more than it was and for example, the third one, Parabellum, you get that clear sense that, like, when Dacosca says, you and me, we're just the same, we're the same, we're, we're so alike, you know, like, in another life, we could be pals and stuff like that. And it's like, part of me is it's like, I actually don't know that that's wrong, you know, like, I don't know this guy enough. It's like, if you actually were to ask me, what do I know about him as a character, as a person, emotionally, all I have is, like, a PowerPoint of shorthands, which is basically... Lost wife, like dog, angry, good at what do. It's like it just it doesn't it doesn't add up to an actual character. It's a mood board, and it's just I I I resent the being put in the position where I have to basically I'm I'm being the 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 joke is that you have to agree with that default assumption that they are so fundamentally different. It's like. Yeah, but do I know that? Like, I don't, I don't fucking know that. I don't, I, I don't like. Uh, I think as a kid. I think it's hinted at with the character stuff, um, it, particularly with Halle Berry in three, to where it's all about like he got her daughter out and helped her like survive. Um, two, uh, well, there's even that. Is it one or two where he has that kind of interesting flirtation with the bartender? I believe that's one. It's one. It's one yeah. I don't know. I think it hints at a past that you piece together with his interactions with other people. And I think that's where your piece I think that's where you're supposed to piece together who John Wick is as a person and put together like what his um let's say morality or 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 at least compass uh, how it's how it's made up. Was he supposed to be a monster at some point? Are we supposed yes. to believe that like uh, is he? I mean, is he Joey in History of Violence, where <laughs> it's like kind of a, a similar kind of mentality? Baba Yaga, but yeah, like I, I really resent this idea that like there's a really suggestive line in the first movie where it's like he is somebody that the mere mention of the name should make you afraid of because he did horrible things. He was pushed into a corner by Vigo, and then basically given an impossible task, as he says which is to basically, like, kill fucking untold amounts of people to, like, to basically... There's no way to accomplish this without being an an absolute fucking beast. And he just does it, and the suggestiveness of that is basically, like, a very fragile flame that you have to protect, and which is why, honestly, it was such a hard thing to accept the idea of a John Wick sequel. It's like... There, there's there's a lot of the relationships are, is, that are hinted at, pointedly hinted at, and I love that. I love the idea of a of a of a character um, 
who is essentially like Brando in Last uh, Tango in Paris, where it's like he doesn't have a backstory. He has a paper napkin where backstory is. It's just that because it's Marlon fucking Brando, you can read into it. And because it's similar, it's like the character actor equivalent of uh, certain things. It's like if you hire Dick Miller or whoever, you have Dick Miller and his reserve of character on hand to suggest everything that your script doesn't have. And what I loved about like the casting of a lot of these movies is that like you can imagine these guys giving that 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 kind of suggestiveness because frankly that's more often more valuable and interesting than you know like a well scripted narrative because it's like it's like what would you rather see John Leguizamo hamming it up or would you rather see and 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 doing something with inhabiting whatever shitty character he has, or would you rather, you know, somebody who's who's gonna uh, basically, you know, try to, to to figure out an individual character? It's like I would nine times out of ten prefer the character actor, but I just well, I think it's it's kind of why to bounce off of yours is why Winston works so well for me in this movie is that I'm at least partially seeing Al Swearengen, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. with. In, he carries that same kind of gravity. But with the impossible task thing that you're talking about, I do think, again, this is one of those things that either works for you or it doesn't, is that they actualize the impossible task that they hint at in one in two by giving him another impossible task, which is killing the guy's sister. And again, I feel like that it's another illustration of that strange moral code that uh, kind of guides all of these characters is that if it means that he gets out and I would assume that the task in the first one would be something along the same lines that, that really tests even his own kind of uh, ethical fortitude, let's say, is that in this one, it's like, in, if you want to get out, if you want these people to stop bothering you, you got to go kill my sister. Who's now like the queen. And you got to do it for the guy that everyone around you tells you is just an awful person. And in fact, I don't even know that I needed anybody to yeah. uh, tell me that that guy sucked. As soon as uh, D'Antoni showed up on his doorstep with that fucking half-shaved haircut looking like this, like this Euro trash, uh, like sub bond, like bond villain kind of thing. Like I was like, Oh yeah, don't trust that guy. Like, fuck that. Like he, he's definitely date raped somebody. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of um, I watched this video a couple months ago before we we're going to do this, even talk about doing this, but of some of the of some of the plot holes in, in two. And the fact is, like, like you're maybe kind of getting at Simon is one ends really well. And if you dig deeper into the world, it kind of it does start to fall apart. So he has this guy who got him out. Who got him out and gave him the marker but the marker is the thing that brings him back in. So right. from a pl from a plotting thing, it's kind of fucked. Where it's like he did this thing for this guy, but the price was I gave you a thing that whenever you need me, I have to come back in. Well, it's the Godfather thing, right? It's like one day I will call upon you to to perform a task for me. It may happen, it may never happen. That's how I always read the marker things. Is that it's a riff on the the old like Corleone Godfather. I do you a favor, you are it tasked to me to do it back eventually. I totally I always interpreted it as like like John also is really stupid because again everyone told him he's like why would you get a marker from that guy 
Are you trying to upset me all night? <laughs> I'm, I'm with Martin, though, because it's like I ain't even thought of it that way because it's like I I tend – I watch enough the same movies that you guys do, which is that like you the pl- as soon as you're thinking about whether something is plausible or not, like that's when you know that something's not working and you've got your job is to then basically figure out why you're so out of the, the plot that you're thinking about something as immaterial as, as – you know, like, why would he do that? And I think that it's it, it it is silly. That's the thing. It's like it's 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 it doesn't like I I one of my favorite films that I've seen this month was Stone Cold, the Craig Baxley. Nineteen, <gasps> yeah, so fucking good. Now you're speaking Jacob's language. Yeah, I mean that movie is great and it is dumb, dumb, dumb. It's so dumb. And it's like it's basically it's '90s Billy Jack in the sense that it's like also it's, directed it's by a stunt guy, like this amazing. Yeah, Baxley. Baxley's. I, I've I've learned to really like his stuff, and uh, Dark I Angel think what I like about Dark Angel. Oh, Dark Angel's so good. Uh, it's just he he has the sense that like every film has a go for broke energy that like makes it feel that like it is. Every scene is an event. Every scene is like uh, basically the equivalent of a, a, a single. Like I remember the Pitchfork review of some We Are Scientists album where it's like the problem here is that every song is pitched like a single. And I was like, I'm seeing no problems here. Yeah. And uh, Baxley has the actual uh, Louis Teague level uh, B-movie wherewithal to deliver that. I don't know if Stahelski does. I don't – I feel like – that that was the th- I I don't mean to keep beating up on him but like I genuinely feel like if I were to try to put my finger on what genuinely doesn't work for him in the sequels it is more a matter of um, execution than of imagination because imagination I was not impressed with uh, the first one frankly the the first one if you were to to think about it, it's like what is it doing that's so interesting and unique? It's like it's really nothing. It's it's pure. Uh, it's execution. all style and execution. Like it. Yes, exactly. The, because I remember the reason I skipped the the premiere at Fantastic Fest is even before I knew the story about it being the last movie booked that year. Like I read the synopsis and they they always do their programming announcements of first wave, second wave, and I believe that that came in the final wave. And they're like, and also we're doing this movie, John Wick, where Keanu Reeves is an assassin who's called back to duty after his dog is killed. And I was like, shut the fuck up. That's not a real movie. You just made that up and put it in the copy. But Jacob, did you know what assassin stands in for? It's actually for Hashishin, which is about <laughs> the time when objects meant things. And, you know, it's like, oh, fuck off. Just fuck off. Yeah. You mean – I do think that is the major – the one thing I will agree with you, again, I'm actually agreeing with you more than I want to care for. Uh, but like, uh, but the thing I, I do think uh, is that you bring up Stone Cold and, like, the cinema of, of Craig Baxley. And Brandon uh, Struesting actually just wrote a really great article and appreciation of Craig Baxley's movies for us uh, yeah. for the site that's that's on there that you should definitely check out. He's he's a really I'm great checking out. Yes, so. Uh, but I think the difference is, and he gets into it too, is that there's no pretension to them. They do mm. they do the thing that they're tasked to do. If you want to see Brian Bosworth fight a bunch of bikers 
that are led by a deranged Lance Henriksen, and at the end, they assassinate the entirety of the Mississippi Supreme Court. Boy, have I got the movie for you. And it does not aspire to do a whole lot more than just wow you for 90 minutes and have a bunch of fun. We're like John Wick. I think the first one doesn't quite have any real airs of pretension, but after people latched onto it and they, like, Stalski did kind of buy into his own hype, let's say, into where it's with two and three, it did become about like, well, did you know that Keanu trained and did all this himself? And did you know that we were stunt guys and we are really here for the appreciation of the art? And even myself, like I, this whole podcast, like I, I've spouted that back at you guys. And I do buy into that. I do think that's all there in the movie. But I think that those guys have a, a more grandiose sense of self, let's say, than Craig Baxley ever did. Craig Baxley was just like, yo, Dolph Lundgren fights aliens. You want a ticket? I think you do. But I wonder, too, if there's a – not to compare it to a film like Ravens of the Lost Ark, but, like, you have an action film like that where every scene is a different kind of action scene. You know, there's, like, chases, there's fistfights, there's gunfights. With John Wick, it is kind of a remixing of his – even with the motorcycle stuff, it's still at the – it's all about him dodging and flipping – and, and and basically you have seeing people to the ground and shooting them in the head. Like it's it is a, a lot of the same idea, maybe a different weapon. I like that. He does saying, kill two guys with a fucking pencil. A fucking pencil. Yes. But <laughs> all in this like hand to hand, like that's the like it's like a lot of those in a row. Um and versus like again, like Baxley or Again, like Justin, obviously the budgets are bigger and Fast and the Furious, but there's all different types of action <laughs> beyond just car chases. Like there's a, there's a variety. Here's what I wonder now, based on what we were just talking about, what you guys just said. I wonder, is the reason why we aren't basically promoting these guys on the same level as like, I, I think of Gareth as the best example Gareth Evans is still doing the work and is still basically the high standard of modern action cinema right now, especially that the Hong Kong um, film industry as we know it just isn't there anymore. Um, I wonder if basically if it isn't as simple as the industry hypes up and buys into and spreads this narrative of the... uh, the craft-driven cinema of John Wick, uh, because a these movies are also uh, uh, a better story to sell because they're it's you know the, the sheer race thing because the, you know the raid movies are about a bunch of Asian guys uh, as opposed to John Wick which has a white cast. I think it's also that the John Wick movies are very much in love with cinema and uh, role playing as such. It's like it's like a leftover of the Weinstein era of filmmaking where it's like they love movies that are about movies, movies sure. that are about like uh, a, a myth making and filmmaking and as, as being this this thing. And I just I feel like one of the reasons why uh, John Wick sequels are so uh, popular in feature writing is because 
editors see that there is uh, you don't need to 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 be into the action filmmaking or whatever you can be a, a, a general audience filmmaker and it's got like a narrative already it's like it's the the stuntman make filmmaker it's the craft over uh corporate you know it's it's the it's it's a pre-packaged thing but part of me wonders could you get john wick without the raid maybe i i think ultimately though the, what john wick is chasing isn't even the raid i i don't I think it's chasing Bond. Like to me, agreed, agreed. Like, like even Stalski flat out told me, like Bond is the biggest influence on these movies, and that's and if you watch them beat for beat, like they are trying to make this comic, like almost like post MCU era, yeah, mainstream multiplex play on American Bond that's also influenced. And playing on not just Hong Kong cinema, but the, the you know the cinema of Gareth Evans. It's the modern action film, because I mean three, to me three is almost like the the equivalent of like the Easter egg laden comic book m- movie, but just for like action movie dorks, you know? Because it's it's kind of like remember Mark Dacascos? He's in it. You got the Ray guys. They're in this motherfucker. Hey, we even, one and two. Yeah, we even got uh, the former seven foot three center of the 76ers and John Wick kills him with a book. So, like, it's just kind of it's just it's almost like they they do have a very bro jock mentality of like, you guys love all these dudes who can fight and or dunk a basketball like. Here's, again, a movie for you. Now we just give them guns and they fight Keanu Reeves. Like, they are chasing a a very commercial mainstream dragon. But, like, I'm not going to lie. For a guy who hates the fucking MCU and who – like, I don't care about, like, DC movies. I don't care about comics. And who was weaned on a steady diet growing up of John Woo films and Johnny Toe films and, like, any Hong Kong bootlegs that I could get my hands on. Like, these movies are, like, my the, – the closest thing that I have to, like, the, to knowing the emotional reaction of the MCU because I watch them and I go, yeah, I can geek out over seeing Mark DeCosco's come out and basically do um, – uh, his Sonny Chiba impersonation from uh, Kill Bill. You know, like that's it is playing to my my very hyper specific dorkiness, and I'm fine with that. My, well, my yeah, yeah. part four, you have Donnie Yen, so it's for people like us yeah. who are already like plugged in. Like when I found that out, I, I lost my fucking mind. And I, I also, real quick, that just made Simon hate these movies more. <laughs> but that it, what's it? Yeah, well, it, it also <laughs> ties into. Um, Keanu's star image and and you were saying about um like you said this kind of prepackaged like um meta narrative right of how the films were made right and it is all based on you know Keanu being the nicest guy in the world and I'm not saying he's not but it's like okay he meets this guy in the matrix they become friends they're collaborators and finally gives him an opportunity years later to make his first feature and it's a it's a nice story and it does make you root for them especially in the first one but maybe we're, I mean, kind of agree with you, Simon, by two and three are like, now they're part of the establishment, you know, like, and they're no longer, it's no longer an underdog story of the well, success. It's also worth pointing out that Keanu Reeves is a massive martial arts nerd. 
So, yeah. I mean, like, there's a reason that his, you know, his, his major kind of feature debut uh, behind the camera, you know, featured, you know, Tiger Hu Chen as its star. It's just kind of like, like, he's the big, one of the other big building blocks in here because for him, this is working with a bunch of his idols and his, like, the, the guys that he's always grown up, kind of like, again, like us, and geeked out over like I'm sure him getting Donnie Yen in the next movie was like a, a dream come true too because it's fucking Donnie Yen, you know. If you're if you're an action nerd like you and you were able to make these movies and Donnie Yen was like, yeah, I'm available to be in your sequel. Pretty sure you would say yes, you know. Yeah, I mean Yen is somebody that I've come to respect at least, and uh, he's like a Statham to me now, where you have to use him just right because otherwise he kind of gets lost in the shuffle where it's like the lack of a of a of a distinct personality that starts to bother me uh in both cases but when used right you get to see like a crank or crank two in statham's case or wrath of man more recently where like the uh the the facade becomes the uh like the parker like personality but like with with Yen, it's the same thing. It's like you can sometimes get uh, batshit crazy movies like the first Iceman movie, which I genuinely really enjoy. Um, and like or it Monkey just. King. <laughs> yeah. You have roles that sometimes do bring out the best in him. And uh, actually, I have to remember what I, what I thought about the second Iceman, frankly, but I don't think it was as good. And uh, I just, I, I genuinely feel like. Both of these guys just speak to the fact that, like, like Keanu, you have to have, um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to tell. It's like, what matters more here? Is it the personality or the craft that goes into it? Ultimately, uh, as much as I don't want to do this because I think it's become a cliche, I have to resort to the Roger Ebert mentality of uh, or the quote where he says, that it's more about what the movie's about than uh, what it's about, or how it's about it than it is about it. You know, that, that, that oft-trotted-out quote. And I, I think that that's ultimately what's holding me back from loving the sequels of John Wick, because he's got, he's, he's got some things going for him. He's certainly got a sensibility. I just I think that when he needed to continue to build and to grow, he basically saw it as, like, less of an opportunity to do more with the, the limits of what he had to do, which is a franchise. And he just started thinking of it more in terms of like, well, you just wanted more of that shit. So like, let's build out all the stuff that wasn't really important in the first movie in the first place. And it's like, I don't think anybody came to these sequels for that, frankly, because, you know, as nice as it is to know that he had like, relationships with all of these you know you know poorly written out side characters it's like i just i don't think anyone cares i i, I genuinely don't think anyone cares i care. is, i'll tell you that much <laughs> it is it is interesting though simon that uh back to the point jake was making about the mcu and this is definitely a post mcu film and the way the storytelling happens the way the world is built because like he just said you have the the surface of John Wick one, and we go deeper and deeper in each movie, right? We're like we're connect, we're we're meeting people who are mentioned in the first one or, or previously. We're seeing people actually that the leader of the high table by the third one. We're actually going all the way to the top, right? But 
He's yeah, the arch- uh, he, it's like the architect, but for John Wick. Right, but he's the quickie Bart Yogi from The Simpsons. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> he's got three questions for him, and and Homer's gonna waste all of them. <laughs> but it, but it very much is. Um, I remember watching this like thing they were making fun of a Black Widow, and they're like, you know what the best part of this movie is? We find out where she got that awesome vest that's in Infinity War. And it just, there literally is a moment where you see her get the vest, so you see why she's dressed up the way at the beginning of Infinity War. It's like that kind of mentality where these things, where it's like, you kind of say like, I don't really need to know some of these things or want to know, like the mystery is always gonna be more interesting than like every single thing explained. Um, it's that kind yeah. of like, again, and very Easter eggy, like, like Jacob said, Easter eggy for the series, but also for action movies. It's very referential you know, for the initiated and we are initiated. So, um, I think in that sense to, to build, I think if the thing that would make me love automatically John Wick for is if they, they, they took saw a page from the saw sequels and they just basically ran with the idea that like, yeah, we've got a ton of backstory and mythology way more than we need. We're just going to keep, building and tripling and quadrupling down on it because the idea is we're up to like saw like by the time we got to saw five or six i love that they were basically like we're gonna try at least nominally to introduce you neophytes to the mythology of the series but frankly we know that really if you're into it you're like a dark shadows type level obsessive where you basically are in it for the sheer pulpy melodrama yeah, and in that sense, I, I think you, that's what the Continental is going to be—the TV yes, show yeah. that's coming too that oh, is going to exist because that's—I believe that's a prequel. They've said the only yeah, thing. And, I, and who does Mel Gibson play? Is he a young Winston or is he Mel someone else? Gibson. Yeah, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson's in it. That's the one that gives me pause uh, uh, for obvious reasons. He's the lead, <laughs> I think. I think he's the lead. I, heard. I don't think. I don't think he's the lead. I hope he's not the lead. Wow, that'll be awkward if he's the lead. Um, I just know that he's I know he's cast in it and nobody was pleased when it was announced. Nope. I, 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 I'll say this. I liked him in Bloodfather. I thought Bloodfather was good. No, I like Mel Gibson as an actor still. Like I love Dragged Across Concrete for all of its obvious, yeah. obvious uh ethical and moral uh implications. But it uh you know, Mel Gibson sucks as a human being. Yes. So him being in, in one of my favorite franchises made me pause and go, oh, shit, am I part of the problem? Am I? <laughs> but I do agree with you. I, I do hope that for just because we, we've gotten like between two and three, we've gotten so much of, as you describe it, Chad uh, Salsky's like, this is what you want. You want fights. You want athleticism you want shit that we're coming up with as stuntmen that just is there to wow you and i do hope that they they scale back a little bit and and give us even if it's the the same sort of juvenile elemental storytelling that drove one that did add an emotional core to it i you know that would be better because i i was like even rewatch i watched two and three back to back before i i came over and recorded with you guys and by the end of three i was out of breath i was just like oh god all right 
Like, I feel like I should be on a Stairmaster the entire time while I'm watching them. So <laughs> The third one especially, though, because the third one, like, I, I remember when we got to the point where we I, I checked my watch, basically, and we had, like, 45 minutes to go, and I was like, 45 fucking minutes? Who are you kidding? Who, what? Like, I, I really, I had, like, a Harlan Ellison-type moment where I almost wanted to stand up and be like, why are you all here? Like, there's nothing in this movie that warrants your attention anymore. Let's all no. go home, and it'll be over. Well, even at the press screening when it first came out, I remember seeing the runtime and being like, 131 minutes? Guys, we, I, I think we're missing the point here. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I, I, I mean, and the thing of it is, it's like the job at fucking bare minimum of a film critic is to basically get over yourself and to try anyway despite your prejudices sure. to see the film or whatever as for what it is. And unfortunately, in this case, it's like I was going in being like 131 minutes for yeah. a John Wick 3. What? I mean, <laughs> guys, like, well, uh, I just, I, I feel like as soon as they move on from the John Wick movies, they might have something. But like, as, as long as they're still stuck in this mode, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. Yeah, I do think this series may have run its course in terms of what it does have up to offer, but I'm I'm always going to be there on opening day when there's a new John Wick movie just because, like, yeah. the same reason why I watched the, a new Scott Adkins movie the moment that it's available to me, although maybe not the same in his case because, I, you know, sometimes I'll be like, Scott Adkins has three new movies? What the fuck? Does this man sleep? So it's like... But I do want to say thank you for join, joining us as always. It's always a pleasure. You are one of the finest film critics out there. It's always great Indeed. to talk to you, even <laughs> if you are uh, wildly incorrect on this topic. I, I'll still read you every <laughs> single day. Um, but can't wait to see you again come X-Fest too, man. Yes, and we'll have to do something before then, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. All right, guys, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, yes, good sir. to see you, Simon. Yeah, see you. Be well, you both.